If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. And of course, you put, you've got all these opportunities for work. And so, you know, during the mid 19th century industrial revolution, and you've got the people who live out in the shires and the home counties who are finding it a little bit hard working in the agricultural trades, as it were, all come down. Some of the poorest people, they're all pretty desperate for work, and it just explodes, you know. And when you've got desperate people, you've got victims, you've got the vulnerable. That was John Bennett talking about criminality in the East End of London. Listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine. We're the UK's best selling history magazine, available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History Magazine. Today's interview is with the author John Bennett whose latest book explores the history of crime in the East End of London. He spoke to our staff writer, Ellie Cawthorn. Um, so I'm joined by John Bennett. Hi, John. Hello. Um, you're a historian, a writer and a tour guide who spent more than 30 years walking the streets of the East End talking about crime, among other things. Um, so you've got a new book out called Mob Town, which is about 400 years of criminality and disorder in London's East End. Why do you think that crime is a good way to look at the social history of the East End? I think because the East End itself has got this sort of very dark history. It's had a lot of strife. It's had a lot of ups and downs, mostly downs, I'd have to say. And, um, you know, some of its dark history is incredibly well known. But I've heard many people say that, you know, things like the, the Whitechapel murders and other things that went on the 19th century when it was at its lowest ebb, because of things like the popularity of newspapers and the increase of literacy, suddenly there's all these things in the papers and the newspapers that don't just tell you about the terrible things that happen, but you... You know, it's almost like a, a microscope. You know, it looks at the everyday lives of everyone who was there and how they reacted to it. And you can see also how the press reacted to things as well. So a lot of it is pretty well documented, but it also sort of 
brings you into other things that were going on. Well, you opened the book by talking about wanting to get behind some of these Cockney cliches. Mm. Um, what are some of the most kind of prevalent that you come across and um, why do you think that, you know, they need addressing? Well, I'm sure a lot of the mass, me- you know, the mass media going back decades has got a lot to do with it. it you know, if everyone thinks, oh, the East End, it's... Some people think it's like EastEnders, you know, off the television. Um, some people think it's it's Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, you know, and all that, and everyone sort of talks... Everyone sort of talks like this, and all oh, good blimey, Governor, and, you know, keep keep your front step scrubbed even though you've got mice in your house and you know we're poor but happy and all that kind of stuff I'm sure there was a certain amount of that I mean my own family are from that area and you know they would keep their rather sort of modest little homes sort of spotless and things like that but you know the, you know, the idea that everyone's standing around a piano in the pub and singing roll out the barrel and all this I mean there's probably little elements of it but it all that's what everyone thinks of old Cockney EastEnders you know and um cheeky barrow boys you know stuff like that and um you know and as much as there was probably a bit of that that's what sticks and you know there's a lot more to it than that you know anyone who sort of looks deeper into the history of the east end will know there's so much you know so much more going on and always has been so why do you think the east end has been throughout um the period you look at um a crime hotspot was it location geography demographics uh, poverty um i think certainly the origins of it would be geographical it's right next to the city of london and obviously in the early days if you wanted to avoid the prying eyes of the city fathers or wherever it was um you would go to the outskirts you go to the, what was then the suburbs outside the wall you know and that's why they got the things like the theatres and the playhouses which the city frowned upon on the outside um you've got the river to the south of it and of course that you know you've got all these different people whether they're working on the docks or working on the river or they're sailors or they're pirates or all that kind of thing that would lead to immigration high levels of immigration um so you know very early on the east end was a bit of a melting pot and i think certainly that that the location of it the geography in it is what made it incredibly overbuilt during the mid 19th century if you look at old maps from the early 19th century it's a load of farms and it's rural and the big white chapel roads just this great big long road going through farms and within about 30 years the whole thing has been built up and quite famously that's where they put all the factories and the the tanner anything that made pollution you know the smoke would be blown away from the city by prevailing winds and of course you put you've got all these opportunities for work and so you know during the mid 19th century industrial revolution uh, and you've got the people who live out in the shires and the home counties who are finding it a little bit hard working in the agricultural trades, as it were, all come down. Some of the poorest people, they're all pretty desperate for work, and it just explodes. You know, and When you've got desperate people, you've got victims, you've got the vulnerable. So I think probably the geography has a lot more to do with it than, than anything else. For many people, if you, say, if you said East End crime to them, two things would spring to mind, which are inevitably... Jack the Ripper and the Cray Twins. You argue in your book that um, a lot of historians have kind of viewed studying these criminals as, you know, viewed it slightly snobbishly mm. and not wanted to engage in that area, but that that is, you know, unfair and and an error. Why do you think that it's important to understand um, big cases such as this, which have received a lot of hype properly and put them in a historical context? Well, the hype, I think, is the really unfortunate thing about it, or that's probably the reason that everyone, you know, some these sort of people will go, you know, it's all been... I remember, I think, my first book, uh, there was stuff in it. It was like a general thing about the East End, and the, and the publisher had cut all this out about Jack the Ripper. 
Um, left a little bit in, but um, there wasn't that much anyway, you know. As if to say, it's all been said, or it's been said too much. And the same with the craze as well. I think with the craze and Jack the Ripper, a lot of people, apart from the fact they look down on it as something that's been overdone, um, they also don't think we should, you know, just by writing about it, you're glorifying it, which you're not, you know. It's, it happened. That's the thing. That's the reason I didn't want to avoid it. It happened, and there's not a lot we can do about it. It's just the way you approach it. So... You know, with Jack the Ripper, for example, if you read what I say about the Whitechapel murders and what happened around it, it's totally different from what you would read about in a book about Jack the Ripper. I've tried to avoid all the, you know, the um, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, all the nitty, you know, the minutiae which you get and just trying to bring it in as how it affected other people and things like that. The craze, it wasn't so easy um, with that because they were sort of a bit out on their own, but also they did reflect gang culture at the time. They were just one step up in terms of celebrity and things like that. But you can't ignore them. There's a fine line between telling it as it was and trying to set it in its proper scene and then going off and saying, oh, the Crays were lovely boys and loved their mum and, you know, Jack was some sort of anti-hero going through the fog, which he obviously wasn't, you know. And I just thought, well, I'm not going to flinch from that. This is a book about East End crime and if you don't put them in... That's weird, you know, so it has to go in. You also look at a, a number of different kind of key crime cases that really captured public imagination or perhaps tapped into fears of the time. Could you give us a couple of examples about crimes such as that, which we might have forgotten but really were emblematic of a certain moment in history? Well, I mean, one of the things that is um, interesting about the East End, as much as it's you know, incredibly multicultural, different types of people from sort of comfortable middle class to some of the poorest people in London back in the day um, it can be really tolerant and it can also be really intolerant and I think when you get things like an example I'm going to give is um, in the 19th century when the Jewish immigrants came over you know in their tens of thousands all getting away from poverty they thought London's streets are paved with gold and they ended up in Whitechapel you know in huge numbers there was a huge amount of resentment against them and they were probably just as poor as all the other poor people and of course they would have got into crime they were they were very big on gambling apparently there was all these little spielers as they called them that were often raided but they would become a scapegoat for all sorts of things you know um their, their interest in socialism and anarchist politics and had their little jewish clubs you know and the victorians i suppose conservative with a small c looked down on it all you know thought troublemakers coming over here i guess there was a lot of resentment you know and there was there was race crime against you know against them a uh, good example that when the you know the jack the ripper murders came up and the, the earliest suspects were deemed to be foreigners so they got the brunt of it then you know um but i mean they they turned to crime probably just as much as anybody else but some of the newspapers sort of whipped up that hatred and of course there were repercussions over that um Another one is things like infanticide. Um, in the 1860s, there was a sort of general rising trend in infanticide. And I was checking all this out. And the East End obviously had more than its fair share, huge amount. There's these terrible stories about, you know, babies being found strangled under, you know, in a doorway and things like that, or floating down a canal and stuff like that. And uh, there was one case from the East End, Mile End. Um, one lady was actually charged with infanticide she'd killed her baby and hid it in a box in her house and things like that and what is weird about that is she, I think she's probably the only person in that area who was actually charged with doing that everybody else got away with it because nobody knew who'd done it 
Um, and that was quite a big thing. You know, the coroners at the time kept saying, it's really regrettable, another one, we've got to do another inquest on a dead child, you know. So, um, and that's something that you you don't read about very often. But it was a very specific time, you know, the 1860s. Could you kind of trace that to a rise in poverty or what yeah. What can you kind of link? Is that oh, what yeah, you I'm directly sure it, it would have been the, the rise in poverty. I mean, so I think the eight, around the 1840s onwards, that's when the East End was getting really cluttered, really overcrowded. You know, 20 years on, the 1860s, not a lot had been done. And there was also laws, I think it's called the Bastardy Laws, you know, where the father, by law, didn't have to have any responsibility for an, a child born out of wedlock. So the mothers had to cope on their own and they couldn't. So, but yeah, poverty, I think, is the main thing. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. So you're keen to highlight all the low-level crime that went on. So corruption, gambling, petty theft, um... How did this uh, kind of pervasive level of crime influence life in the local community? How did it shape life in the East End? I mean, it was bad. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I don't think otherwise the newspapers at the time would keep repeating these um, headlines, um, distress in Spitalfields or distress in the East End. It was there. Um, and I'm sure there was probably a lot more people who would turn to things like shoplifting, pickpocketing, um, at that time, just out of sheer need, than there would have been had everyone been reasonably comfortable. What was interesting is, is during the First World War, that was a surprise to me, the crime rates in the East End shot down. They plummeted, apart from the fact that all the, the men, a lot of the men folk were away fighting in the trenches. I think there were benefits. You know, suddenly the women were needed for the munitions factory, so suddenly they're earning decent wages and suddenly the, the crime levels dropped during the war. 
And then as soon as they all came back, it boom, shot up again. So one of the kind of 19th century phenomenons, mm. which I found quite intriguing and bizarre, was Spring-Heeled Jack. Yeah. Could you just explain a bit about him? Well, I mean, he's in the book because three incidents involving this rather strange character happened in the East End. All the others tended to happen in South London, in the suburbs, you know, like Blackheath and things like that. So by the time he, he started appearing in... Um, Bow and Whitechapel and places like that. He was sort of a, an established folk character. But, yeah, it's almost quasi-supernatural. And, um, you know, if anyone hearing this who doesn't know what he was, apparently he just used to... He, he had a, wore a strange helmet or strange headgear and he had a long sort of cape on which he would throw open in front of uh, lonely women walking across the parks or the heaths and things like that and he would sort of grab them he'd claw at them with these sort of nails and then he'd spit fire in their face or something like that and that's one of the few of the, few of the ideas that have been and he could around. jump incredibly and high and the name comes from the fact that he, always, he seemed to be able to jump over walls with this horrible ringing laugh you know and there's been various theories as to who it was. Obviously, there's the, the really obvious one. It's, it's some chap who's obviously had a few too many and he's going round, especially when the, the story began to catch on, you know, just to frighten ladies. You know, no-one ever got murdered or anything like that. And there was obviously a lot of women who... One woman fainted, I think, after being confronted by him by the docks. But um, it's become almost um, like the other famous Jack, almost what they would call Fortean you know, like the 14 times mysterious phenomena kind of thing, almost unexplainable. But it did create quite a quite a stir. Do you think that time. Victorian society had a particular kind of... was particularly susceptible to these hysterias about certain crimes? Yeah, I mean, the Victorians were very good at that. They, um, you know, when Spring Hill Jack was going on, you know, it was in the papers and, and women wouldn't go out at night and all this kind of thing. Um... You know, it was this mysterious creature of the shadows. Um, I suppose there's all sorts of things. I suppose you've got to also think of, you know, the rise of what today I suppose we call sensational journalism, things like that, where they really sort of lay on the melodrama. And uh, But, yeah, the, the Victorians do seem to be incredibly prone to getting into sort of huge moral panics. And, um, you know, Spring Hill Jack was a good example. Jack the Ripper was a very, very, very good example. And if you think about, you know, you've got the gang, say like gangland killings in the 60s in pubs in Whitechapel, there isn't that mass panic about, ooh, we can't go to the pub because there's someone in there who's going to be killing and things like that. Um, so, yeah, they, they were very good at that. You mentioned earlier about um, racial tensions and a, and a theme that does come up again and again throughout the book is uh, public disorder. So not a really <clears> interesting <throat> incident... Um, I found was the Cable Street incident. Um, so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was sort of, that was a key period in in just sort of general European history, I think, as much as anything. But you know, the the far right, if you like, began to gain a foothold in in politics. I think well, Oswald Mosley is obviously the famous one with the black shirts and all that. And um, you know, there was these very provocative black shirt marches through what was deemed to be you know a very multicultural area, the East End. And um, they resented it. They didn't want him coming through. And um, it's ironic. A lot of people think that Mosley, you know, when you hear about the, the Battle of Cable Street in 1936, is that they think that Mosley's black shirts walked through Cable Street and all these people threw bricks at them and all the rest of it. Well, it didn't happen that way. Um, the authorities realised we can't let him go through here because he'll just be an all-out riot. And so he turned round at Royal Mint Street, I think, and then marched off through the West End. But, of course, all these people had set up all these barricades in Cable Street, knowing that he was going to come through that way. And then, then uh, 
violence flared up between them and the police. You know, they, they'd turned over cars as barricades and next thing you know, people are pulling up um, paving stones and throwing them and stuff like that. And, you know, there's loads of photographs of it. It was a very big thing. But it's, it's a symbol, you know, it still is thought of as a symbol of... Well, I suppose, not. you know, I said about the East End being tolerant and intolerant, and suddenly this was the East End saying, well, no, you, you aren't going to come here and tell us that, you know, these people shouldn't be living here or we can't earn a living here, you know. And uh, the fact that they were prepared to put up a big stink about it meant that that march got moved on. It's this symbol of the East End sort of almost being out on its own, you know, doing, we do our own thing, it's sort of separates it in the sort of psyche, I suppose, of people. So that was a real key thing and I, I remember I think I don't know if it's still going there was a magazine called Cable Street Beat and um, there's plaques up there's a huge mural on Cable Street depicting what happened and so uh, yeah it's a very I often think of it as a very defining moment in the way the East End looks at everybody else So what have relationships between um, the police and the area been like over time how successful have police been at tackling criminality in the area um kind of what approaches have they taken over time and how's that changed obviously things like that are open to corruption you know there was a lot of that in the 70s police corruption but also in the late 19th century you've you know you've got quite a lot of high profile detectives who were based at commercial street who went on to great things um one detective walter jew went on to arrest dr crippen Later on, that's how he made his name and became famous. But there was quite a few others that were all deemed to be really excellent detectives. And there was one or two others who were also deemed to be sort of an unholy terror to the local lawbreakers who were apparently known to sort of take a little backhander now and then and, you know, it's sort of fixing, rigging the system sometimes just to get things done or just to keep the peace. You know, they say that, I mean, for example, one detective, Sergeant Thick, whose name pops up in the book, various times you know had little deals going with some of the lodging house keepers just to keep them sweet you know and all that sort of thing so you probably wouldn't have to worry about um arresting anybody and stuff like that i mean later on there were lots of accusations of them not really caring in the in the, in the 70s when uh, there was all the problems with uh groups like the national front in the face of you know the bengalis that were settling in brick lane and around that area and there's so many things I read from the time where people had been attacked by skinheads and things like that, said, police don't seem to want to know, you know. Uh, one lady even said uh, to the police, oh, she went off to an inspector, director Scotland Yard, and said, look, no-one's doing anything about it. And then she got a visit from the police saying, if you go and him again, we ain't going to touch you, we're not going to, we're going to leave you alone, you, you're, it's up to you, you know. And then after these big incidents in Brick Lane... In 1978, they got themselves a Brick Lane police station. They suddenly decided, right, you know, there was so much outcry. Um, but I certainly think, you know, when when the East End was at its lowest ebb, so like the 19, late 19th century, it was never any worse than that afterwards. Um, it was probably a real struggle. They probably had a lot of difficulty coping, you know, especially when... Uh, the Whitechapel murders started and they got mass hysteria, mass panics, people being chased down the street by gangs of hundreds of people wanting to beat them up because they think they're the murderer. They've got to deal with all this, but also fit that into what was effectively the rules. You know, I remember one occasion someone reports a murder and a policeman standing at what was called a fixed point and he said, there's been a murder. And he said, um, get someone else because he wasn't actually literally allowed to move from that spot. So you can imagine how frustrated he was, you know, things like that. 
So, yeah, it was probably six of one and half a dozen of the other a lot of the time. The area has been widely associated with gangs, most notably in the time of the craze. Did you get a sense researching the book how much gangland culture impacted ordinary people's lives in the area or whether it was kind of a self-contained thing? A lot of it was mostly self-contained and a lot of the battles were between gangs. And I think that still remains the way today. I mean, if I walk up Brick Lane, the, the, the Brick Lane Massive aren't going to come up and try and beat me up. Um, they're going to try and beat up someone. Or there's going to be a conflict between them too. And, you know, right back in the early 20th century, when you had a lot of the Jewish gangs in the late 19th century, the Bessarabians and the Odessans, they tended to fight each other for, you know, pitches, market pitches, battles over honour, you know, who comes first and all that same sort of thing. And that's one of the things they say about the craze, you know, oh, they only hurt their own and all the rest of it. Well, they didn't, I can tell you that now. It's very much against each other. The general public will only sort of get caught up in it by default. A bizarre phenomenon, which we have kind of touched on, um, is that is the glamorous reputation that's been often connected to some of these figures. Um, who come to be kind of macabre anti-heroes, almost, in a way. Um, why do you think that people throughout history have been, have been drawn to criminal characters? That's a good question. I mean, everyone loves a, a rogue, don't they, I suppose? You know, the things that Del Boy does in Only Fools and Horses, all thoroughly illegal. I'm sure... Arthur Daly and Minder and all these, all these other sort of famous characters, you know, the Sweeney, the police officers in the Sweeney, you know, in the 70s, didn't do it all by the book. I think people like um, the idea of people that sort of cock a snook at the authority and things like that. I mean, a great example was George Davis, the guy that was arrested in the 70s for a bank raid, and there was this huge campaign against his prison sentence, you know, George Davis is innocent and things like that, and, and I think James Morton, the author said, I think that was the last real example of the East End sticking up for one of what they would call an anti-hero. It's, I suppose it's all part of dark history, as they call it. Yeah, I just think it's, you know, people like people that occasionally cock a snook at authority. And uh, the East End has had plenty of examples of it, you know. Well, John, thanks very much for your time. Oh, okay. Thank and you. your book, Mob Town, is out now. It is, yes. Thanks. <laughs> That was John Bennett in conversation with Eddie Cawthorn. And that is about all for today, but please do listen in again on Monday when we'll be discussing the biotapestry. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast. 